And if you have your Bible this morning, I will invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 1, the New Testament book of Philippians, and we'll be in the first chapter. So thankful to have our youth choir back and all of those leaders and workers and parents, and I think you have brought a... Uh, and excitement back to our worship service. And we're just glad to have you. I've heard so much good about the trip and uh, we'll all hear more in the days to come. Hey, while you're turning to Philippians chapter one, I wanna tell you uh, that when Jesus would teach, when he would stand and teach the scripture, oftentimes he would share a story. He would, he would just make up a story. We would probably call it an illustration. Uh, the Bible calls it a parable. And the purpose of the story was to teach some truth that he felt like was very important, but, but more than just to teach a truth, it was to open his listeners' eyes to something that they might not have noticed before. And, and I think one of his very best stories, I mean, all of his stories are great, but one of his very best stories is just one verse long. It, it's truly a short story. And while we're going to be in Philippians this morning, let me just read to you this parable, this one verse story that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. And then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and he buys that field. So Jesus tells the story of this man. He's just going on just the regular course of living. And while he's walking across the field, it's as if he stumps his toe on something sticking out of the ground. And so he stops and he looks at it. He brushes back the straw and the leaves and a little bit of the dirt and he sees the corner of a chest. And so he looks a little further, he does some digging and he opens this chest and it is a treasure chest. It is the one thing that he's always wanted. Every dream, every desire fulfilled in this treasure chest. And so what's he going to do? He's not going to steal the chest. That wouldn't be the right thing to do. So he closes it up, he buries it again, and he covers it back up just like he had found it. And then he goes and he sells everything he has so that he can buy the field, so he can possess the treasure. And then for the rest of his life, he enjoys this, this dream treasure uh, that he has found. Well, when Jesus tells this story, the treasure represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. It represents the good news that Jesus Christ has died on the cross, that he was buried, he rose on the third day in order to offer us new life, forgiveness, that we could have a right relationship with God forever and ever because of the work of Christ. That's the gospel. And so Jesus is saying that in the course of life, sometimes we will just stumble upon this great treasure of the gospel. And when we do, it will change our lives. I don't know about you, but that's exactly what happened to me. I was just going through the regular course of life and I stumbled across this great treasure and I just sold my life out. And ever since, I've been enjoying the treasure of the grace and the mercy of God. That's the gospel. And so the last few weeks, we've been focused on the gospel. 
from Philippians chapter 1. We've, we've said that Philippians chapter 1, the theme of that chapter is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and two weeks ago, we talked about the good news of the gospel, the value of the gospel, just how wonderful the gospel is. And then last week, we talked about the effect of the gospel in our lives. If we have embraced the gospel, what difference does that make in how we live and who we are today? We're going to talk about the advancement of the gospel. How does the gospel go forward in our lives and the lives of those around us? And so we're in Philippians chapter one, and today we're going to read a number of verses. So I want you to follow closely with me. We're going to start in verse 12, Philippians chapter one, verse 12. He says, now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Now, what is Paul talking about when he says, what has happened to me has advanced the gospel? Well, much has happened to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul stumbled across the treasure. Uh, The Apostle Paul encountered Jesus Christ and God saved him and changed him. Now, from that point forward, the Apostle Paul began to tell people about Jesus. He began to preach and proclaim Christ everywhere he went. He, he did it in Jerusalem where he started, but then he began to go to other cities and just tell everybody who would listen the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he was a part of the advancement of the gospel. But then, one day, the Apostle Paul was arrested. He was arrested because he was proclaiming Christ and it was forbidden that he would proclaim Christ. And so they arrested him and uh, they beat him, they mistreated him, and they sent him to Rome to be tried uh, for this great crime of really rebellion and sedition as he preached the gospel instead of saying Caesar was Lord, Caesar being the emperor uh, at the time. And even on this journey, Because he was arrested in Jerusalem, it was a long way to get to Rome where his trial would take place. Even along this this journey, he was was mistreated. They they shipwrecked at one point. I mean, Paul is talking about a lot of things when he says all of these things, but notice he says, have served to advance the gospel. Now, you would think that those things would have stopped the gospel. I mean, he was advancing the gospel before those things happened. He was going and telling people about Christ before that happened, but now he's been arrested. You would think that that would have stopped the gospel advancement. But Paul says here in verse 12 that all of these things have served to advance the gospel even further. Now, look at the next verse. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. And so now, this is interesting, now he's a prisoner in Rome. And we don't know exactly the circumstances of his imprisonment, but we know what imprisonment looked like for others who were prisoners in Rome at the same time. And so what happened for those people is they were chained to a guard 24 hours a day. Every six hours, they would change shifts, and so one guard would unshackle himself from the Apostle Paul, and a new guard would shackle himself to the Apostle Paul for the next six hours. Now, they thought that the Apostle Paul was their captive, but in, from Paul's perspective, he thought they were his captive. Okay, because he had six hours. He, there was a guard chained to him for six hours and he could share and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now he says, even among the imperial guard, these were the elite soldiers that guarded the emperor and also guarded the, 
the prisoners who are awaiting trial with the emperor, even amongst the imperial guard, everybody knows. It says the whole imperial guard, everybody knows that I'm here because of Jesus Christ. Now let's go on. He says in verse 14, most of the brothers, that's the other Christians in the area. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. And so the other Christians in the area, when they heard what Paul was doing, it didn't keep them from sharing the gospel. It gave them greater boldness to share the gospel. He says in verse 15, to be sure some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill. So he says some people had good motives for sharing Christ. Some people had bad motives. Verse 16, these preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, but others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. So he says some people good motives, some people bad motives. What does Paul think about that? Verse 18, he tells us, what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Paul said, I don't really care why people are sharing Christ. Some of them are doing it because they love Christ. And some of them are doing it because they want a position of importance. He said, I don't really care. As long as they're sharing Christ, I will rejoice that Christ is being proclaimed. Now, it's interesting. Just a note here. When Paul encounters people in his ministry that are preaching something that isn't true, when they're preaching a lie, Paul always takes that very seriously. Paul calls them out. Paul calls them by name. Paul points out the error of their teaching. And he, he, he doesn't, he's not careful. He just, I mean, he's careful, but he's not, uh, he's not uh, diplomatic at all. He just points it out. When they're false teachers, he, he's on top of that. And we should be as well. But... Uh, but here he's just thankful that the gospel is, uh, is going forward. Well, let's continue to read. Verse 19, he says, Because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, don't let that verse confuse you. It says here, for my salvation. Your Bible may say deliverance. Uh, in the original, the word is salvation. But deliverance is probably a better translation. Uh, it, it's, um, what, what he says is, I know that as the gospel is continued to be preached, then the purpose of my life is being fulfilled. And then verse 20 is a very important verse. So let's look at this together. He says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He says, no matter what happens, whether I live or die, whether things go well or things Uh, take a turn for worse, he said, it's my expectation and hope that my life, every bit of it, will bring honor to Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say verses 21 and following until next week, if the Lord allows, we're going to finish this chapter next week, but I do want you to go to the last two verses in chapter one, verses 29 and 30, because they're connected with what we've already read. He says, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. He says, you have been given the privilege of suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, all of this is about the advancement of the gospel, how the gospel was advancing in people's lives and 
how the God gospel was advancing in, in the whole world in those days through Rome and it ends up going all the way to Spain. This is about the advancement of the gospel. Now you see that word advance. If you look back at verse 12, I want you to see the word. Now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So this is all about the advancement of the gospel. Now the word advanced there is an interesting word. It's only used three times in the New Testament, the original word, but it's used often in other kinds of literature in that same time period. And, and it's a colorful word. Uh, for instance, sailors would use the word uh, advance. When, the, when a sailor would talk about a ship advancing, he was talking about a ship that was advancing, that was moving against the headwinds. You know, a skilled sailor, and this is hard and it's complicated, but a skilled sailor can move his boat not just with the winds, but a skilled sailor can move his boat against the winds. And this is the word that he would use. It's moving against the headwinds. Uh, this was a military word as well that referred to an army that would be moving, but not just marching across a field, but moving through a terrain that required them to send advanced scouts to sort of clear the way. Now, reason that's important is because while we know the gospel advances today, we, we've got to understand that sometimes that advancement is slow and difficult. And when we go to share the gospel, when our church tries to make a gospel impact in our community, we're going to be pushing against some headwinds from time to time. We're going to be going into enemy territory from time to time. But aren't you thankful that the gospel is advancing? None of us would know Christ as our Savior if the gospel were not advancing. And if it does not advance from here, then people all around us are never going to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're thankful. It's good news that the gospel advances. Now it's up to us to show some people the hidden treasure in the field and let them sell out and enjoy that forever and ever and ever. Now, I want to go back through these verses and show you three lessons, I think, important lessons that these verses, verses teach us about the advancement of the, of the gospel. The first lesson is this. Every situation is a God-ordained opportunity to share the gospel. Every situation is a God-ordained opportunity to share the gospel. Now, I won't read verse 12 again because we've read it a few times, but Paul says in verse 12 that everything that's happened to me is for the purpose of advancing the gospel so that people might know about Jesus Christ. Now, there are two different ways you can look at life. You can see life as just a series of random events. That there's no purpose, that there's no divine coordination, that the people that you meet today, the people that you may see at a restaurant or the people that you're working with uh, tomorrow, the people who live next door to you, that the people around you, all of your encounters and every situation you're in, that it's just random. It just happens and it just happens. Okay, that's one view of life. The other view that you could take is that everything is orchestrated by God and everything has a purpose. Every situation, every encounter, every person you know, every person you'll speak to today, that everything has a purpose. So there are two different ways that you can look at life. Well, you should know this, Scripture strongly points to the second option. Scripture tells us that God has orchestrated all things. I'll show you. Proverbs 16, 9 says, a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. 
So you make your plans, that's good, you should, but then it's God who will determine your steps. Matthew 10, 29, Jesus says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? He's talking about those little birds. He says they're worthless. Two of them sold for a penny, yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. He says that God even orchestrates the lives of the sparrows. I think about the story of Philip and the Ethiopian, and that fits into uh, what we're talking about this morning. Do you know that story? It's in Acts chapter 8. God told Philip, who was a, uh, uh, who was a deacon and in church there in Jerusalem, and God told him to go to a certain place at a certain time, and something was going to happen. So Philip was obedient. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he went to where the Lord told him to go, where the Spirit led him, and he got there at the right time. And you know what? When he got there at that exact moment, there was a man, a very influential man from Ethiopia, and he was reading the book of Isaiah. He was reading part of the Old Testament and he didn't know what it meant and he needed somebody to tell him. And so, I mean, what a coincidence, right? And so here's Philip, here's the Ethiopian man. The Ethiopian man has a question. Philip has the answer. Philip shares with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Ethiopian man comes to know Christ as his savior and then goes to Ethiopia. Now the gospel is being spread in Ethiopia. So So every part of life is orchestrated by God. And Paul believed this. That's why he said, everything that's happened to me has been for the advancement of the gospel. Now let's see what what Paul meant when he said everything that has happened to me. I think he's talking about the things that had happened in his past. I think he was thinking about some pretty bad things that he was arrested it's sort of the height of his popularity and his ministry. And it seemed like everything was going well. And then all of a sudden he's arrested. He says, I think, I think that served the advancement of the gospel, that he was beaten, that he was shipwrecked, that he was taken from the city that he was in and taken to a, a foreign city that he had not yet been to. And so all of these things that had happened in the past, he said, every one of those things has served for the advancement of the gospel. And for you and me, everything in our past, know this, has been orchestrated by God to serve for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about the past things. He was talking about the present things. We see that again in verse 13. He, he, he says, even now while I'm in prison, even my present, I, um, I see it just as an opportunity to, to advance the gospel. Now, now, you know, he could have had a different attitude. He could have just, uh, uh pouted in prison. He could have said, this isn't fair. Uh, why, why am I in prison? I, I was out serving the Lord. I was doing everything I knew to do. Has God just abandoned me here? Why can't I be out there speaking to the crowds? Why can't I be starting new churches? Why am I stuck here with these smelly guards that are mistreating me? But that wasn't the attitude that he chose. He said, my present circumstance, no matter how bad the world might say it is, I see it as an opportunity to advance the gospel. And, and then he, he was talking about his relationships. It's interesting. And so if you have your Bible open to Philippians, it's probably just a page over, but look at the last verse. I think it's the last verse of Philippians. Philippians 4, it's actually the next to the last verse. Philippians 4.22. This is one of those verses that's easy just to skip over, but there's, this is a, an important verse. He says, now he's wrapping up his letter. So, you know, if you write somebody a letter, you get to the end, you say all that stuff, you know, I love you and the family loves you and see you later, you know, have a good Christmas, whatever. So he's doing that at the end, but he says something that's, that's key. 
He says, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Now, who's Caesar's household? Well, he's talking about the imperial guards. He, he's talking about all the people in the court system, you know, the, the clerks, the judges, the, the constable, the, the bailiff. I mean, all the people in their, in their judicial system that he's working through. The whole time he's been going through this, he's just been talking about Jesus. And so now he's actually planted a church in the royal Roman family. <laughs> And so when he writes to these uh, Christians in Philippi, he says, oh, by the way, all of the church people, all of the new Christians in the, in the imperial government, they all send you well wishes as well. And so he saw every opportunity as, as, uh, as a God-ordained chance to, to advance the gospel. We need to see it the same way. Uh, wherever you work, Did you know that God has orchestrated that and all the other people who work with you so that you can be a part of the advancement of the gospel in their lives? Uh, Wherever you live, you live there on purpose and the people around you live there on purpose. I am closing on a house uh, this week on Tuesday. If the Lord allows, I am excited about it and ready to, I feel like I'll be permanent on Tuesday. So, um, but you know what, I've, I've, already, I've already begun to pray uh, for the neighbors around me. I've only met one, uh, Gary, Gary Davis. Is that his last name, Gary? And I don't guess he's here this morning, but he preached for me a couple of weeks ago. I'm still learning people's names. He is the director of the Baptist Student Ministry. And so I know he's the first person I'm going to have to share the gospel with. But, uh, <laughs> but he'll be my neighbor. But I don't know any of the other neighbors. I know some of their names. But I've already begun to pray for them because I know that it's, um, and I don't know if they're saved or lost. I'm not suggesting that there's some great spiritual need like that in their lives. But but I know that God is putting me in that place for a purpose. We were looking for a house. We looked at a bunch of houses. And we wanted a certain number of bedrooms and it needed to be in a certain price range. But those were our, um, you know, our guidelines. But there were some divine guidelines that we know nothing about. And God has specifically put us there to minister to some specific people. And, and God has specifically put you where you are to, min, to minister to spe- some specific people. Everybody you encounter, if your car breaks down today, okay, God broke your car down, okay? I mean, don't, don't get angry at him. You know, God, why did you tear my timing belt in two? But, but no, you, you now have an opportunity to sit down with three or four people you wouldn't have had an opportunity to sit down with before. And, and you want to see that as an opportunity for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the doctor tells you you have diabetes this week or talk to somebody this morning may have a back surgery or soon. I know there've been a couple of people in our church diagnosed with cancer in recent weeks. And, and, and you know, I don't want to be trite about this, but everything that happens to us, even the difficult, difficult things that the apostle Paul went through is a God ordained opportunity for the advancement of the gospel. Every relationship you have, who cuts your hair, what coworker has been assigned to a project with you, who are you gonna make a sales call on tomorrow? Everybody, every opportunity, God ordained for the advancement of the gospel. So what should you do? I wanna make all of these things, these lessons practical. What should you do very quickly? You should show loving kindness in every relationship. 
We need to be careful that we don't burn gospel bridges. You know, if you're sitting down with somebody tomorrow because you're, you're having to work out a problem with your insurance and you know, it's not a happy conversation. You, you need to understand that while you have one agenda, God has another agenda for that meeting. So don't go in there and burn some gospel bridge because you're trying to to have your agenda met, you need to recognize that we should always show love and kindness because God wants to use that encounter to somehow advance the gospel in their lives. Secondly, you just need to tell your story. Look for opportunities to tell your story. Tell people what Jesus has done in your life. I love that song that we ended in with uh, a few minutes ago. Um, uh, Not that we ended with, but one of the songs that we sang, I already forgot what it was, but it was real special to me. Now, I will remember, I will remember, I will remember. And, and so we need to remember. You'd think I could remember that. <laughs> Took me a while to get my own joke. All right. So you need to remember so that, I mean, what's the rest of this? What's the rest of that? You need to remember so that what? You can tell. Don't just remember. Remember and tell. Remember and tell. And then thirdly, you, you just invite people to church. You know, that's sort of the easiest way to do this, but just invite people to church. In fact, next week, where we're going to be in the last part of Philippians chapter 1, this will be perhaps the best week of of our whole study of Philippians for you to invite somebody who does not ordinarily come to church to join you. So invite somebody to church. Every situation is a God-ordained opportunity to share the gospel. Now, quickly, lesson number two. It isn't information but courage that is the roadblock to gospel proclamation. Now, if you have your Bibles open, I want to draw your attention again to verse 20. He says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body. Now, sometimes you can tell as much from what the Bible writer doesn't say as you can from what he does say. So here, notice he doesn't say, My eager hope and expectation is that I would have more information or I would have a more clever presentation of the gospel of Christ. He doesn't say that. He says, my hope and expectation is that I would have the courage. I would have greater courage to share the gospel. When you ask people, and let's just be honest, this is true of all of us. And I'm standing up here, it's true of me first. When you ask people why they don't share the gospel more often. What do they say? What do they say? When, why don't you share the gospel more often? What do people say? Well, almost inevitably, people will point to a lack of information. Well, I just don't know enough, or I don't know how to, or I don't have a clever enough presentation, or I'm afraid they're going to ask questions I can't answer. We point to an information problem, but we identify the problem incorrectly. The problem is not information. The problem is courage. It's a lack of courage. That's why the apostle Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will have the courage to advance the gospel with my life, living or dead. The problem is, listen, you and I, we're ashamed of the gospel. We're ashamed of the gospel. Now, I know you're thinking, Pastor, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I've been coming to church for 75 years. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I've got a bumper sticker on my car and I got a t-shirt in my drawer. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But you know, sometimes it's hard to measure our own shame. I remember when I was in high school, uh, my, uh, an organization I was in went to uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. 
uh, for some sort of competition. And, and, and I was in the organization and my girlfriend at the time was in the organization. And so we both end up in Gatlinburg and the thing in Gatlinburg to do, I don't know if it's the thing to do now, hopefully not, but back then it was uh, to go and get airbrushed, matching airbrushed t-shirts. Okay. Those of you from the eighties, you remember this? And so we got to uh, Gatlinburg and it seemed like every other store was an airbrushed t-shirt store. And she said, let's me and you go get matching airbrush t-shirts, you know, with our names on them and all. And I said, there is no way in the world I'm going to go get a matching airbrush t-shirt with you. You know, uh, Noel loves Kathy or Kathy loves Noel. I would not do that in a million years. No. And she said, are you ashamed of me as your girlfriend? And I said, well, you know, I've never thought about that, but... That was the end of that relationship. <laughs> you know, sometimes we don't know we're ashamed of something until we measure it. So how do we measure whether or not we're ashamed of Jesus Christ and the gospel? Here's how you measure it. How often, not just in a witnessing situation, but just in general, how often do you talk about Jesus? How often do you talk about what Jesus is doing in your life? I mean, see, I'm convinced that most of us, we, it, it never crosses our lips. I mean, we come to church, we talk about politics and the news. We talk about sports and hobbies and television shows and celebrities and the weather. But we never talk about Jesus. Well, if we never talk about Jesus, I'm telling you, it, it says that on some level we're ashamed. We're ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am. Um, I've met a few of the other pastors in town and, and uh, a lot of great guys, and I look forward to meeting more just as uh, time goes on. Uh, but one pastor I've really uh, been impressed with, and, and my lunch slots have been limited since I've been here, but uh, I've had lunch with him a couple of times, and we're still getting to know each other, but, but I've been so impressed because both times, you, you, you know what he wanted to talk about during all of lunch? He just wanted to talk about what Jesus was doing in his life. And he wanted to know what Jesus was doing in my life. He wanted to know what I've been praying about, what I was passionate about, what God was changing in me. And you know, it was a little, it was a little unsettling, but, uh, but both times when I, when I got back in my car and I headed back here to the church, I thought, what a refreshing conversation about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I spent a couple of days this last week with someone who, who might one day be on our staff, a potential staff member. And, and I went with a whole list of things for us to talk about. And, and we did talk about those things. Uh, but the whole time, he just really wanted to talk about Jesus. And it was, it was, it was refreshing. But I'm afraid most of the time, we, we, we are ashamed of, of the gospel. So let me make this practical. What, what do we need to do? Well, we need to talk about our relationship with Christ. What's God doing in your life? When's the last time you just told somebody? I'll tell you for me, you know, I'm reading through Philippians over and over. Are you doing that? Our Philippians challenge, reading through a chapter of Philippians every day. And so one of the things that God is showing me in that is that while it's clear to see that, that Paul's goal, his life goal was to know Christ. Okay. Now, if you've been through Philippians two or three times in the last few weeks, you know, this Christ's life goal was to, or Paul's life goal, goal was to know Christ more and everything that Paul did served that end. But what God is showing me is that I think sometimes I have that backwards in my life. Sometimes I'm where Paul would preach Christ in order to know Christ more, I think sometimes I want to know Christ more so I can better preach Christ. 
I mean, I'm afraid in my life that the goal is not to know Christ more. That's almost the tool to do something else. And, and the Lord's convicted me about that. And, and, and so what's God doing in my life right now? I can tell you what God's doing in my life right now. And so we need to have those conversations with people around us. Secondly, we just ought to pray with people. Uh, if, if you fear that you're, you're ashamed of Christ and you want to overcome this, just next time somebody tells you about a problem, whether they ask for prayer or not, if somebody tells you about a problem, I mean, you're, you're a child of the king. What should you do? Call the king. So you go to work tomorrow. Somebody says, oh, yes, you know, my kids are this and my husband's this and my wife's this. So, hey, you know, I, I, look, if you, do you mind if we just talk to the father about that? And um, they'll be weirded out a little bit, but that's okay. And just I mean, we don't even wait. Just go ahead and bow your head and start praying. Oh, Lord, I love my, love my friend here, and uh, they have a problem, and, and you're the problem solver. So I, I didn't know anything else to do but talk to you. And so I'm talking to you now, and I pray. It's just pray. Uh, let's quit telling people we're going to pray. Have you ever thought about how crazy that is? And I do it all the time, too. But uh, somebody tells us about a problem. We say, I, I'm going to pray. Um, it's like you know, somebody tells you, oh, I'm really thirsty. Well, I'm going to give you something to drink one day. Don't, don't tell them you're going to pray. If you're going to pray, just pray. Just pray. Stop right what you're doing and pray. So let, let's get over this. Let, let me tell you a story. Can I run out of time? Uh, I read this week, um, Francis Chan, uh, someone who used to pastor a church in California, and he, he tells a story, true story, uh, about one of the associate pastors uh, in his church. And the associate pastor was uh, driving somewhere one day, and the car in front of his car uh, struck someone on a bicycle. And knocked him over. And so all the traffic stopped. The guy wasn't hurt or it wasn't hurt badly. But the cyclist gets up and he goes to that car where the, where the, the, the gentleman was in that hit him. And he starts beating on the hood and screaming. And then he goes around to the driver's door, opens it, pulls this guy out of the car. It's an elderly guy, 80 years old. And this guy just begins to beat him. He's punching him. He's kicking him. And the associate pastor thought, well, you know, I don't know what, what, what am I going to do? His, his baby was in the back of his car, so he felt uncomfortable. But, but, but he did the only thing that you could do, right? He hops out of the car and he runs up and he grabs this cyclist and he pulls him off this elderly gentleman. Well, the, the guy still wouldn't calm down. He was still trying to get free. And so the associate pastor had to make another decision. You know, do I, do I punch this guy? And he finally decided, you know, I think the Lord would have me punch him. And so he reared back and he punched him one time right in the mouth and the guy just dropped. He was, uh, he was out. And uh, Francis Chan told his church the story. And he said, when I told them what the associate pastor had done, everybody applauded. You know, they just so, you know, that he had rescued this guy. And uh, then Francis Chan said, well, men, raise your hand if you would have done the same thing. If you saw an elderly guy just being beaten, would you risk your own safety and, and do something? And every man in the church raised his hand. Of course I would. Well, then he said, well, now, raise your hand if, if, if you would be willing, if you saw this week an elderly man sitting alone in a restaurant and you knew he didn't know Christ, would you have the courage to go over and have a spiritual conversation with him? He said, nobody raised their hand. See, why are we so brave when it comes to physical things, but we're so cowardly when it comes to spiritual things? Um, you know, I, um, 
you'll hear my, my testimony over and over and over until you're tired of it, but there are really two parts. And one of them was I went to a youth retreat and, and, and that's one part I'll tell later. But, but what really led up to that was this, uh, this girl named Alicia. She was a year younger than me. She was a shy, uh, shy high school girl, but she continually shared the gospel with me. And it was really her efforts, uh, God working through her efforts that led me uh, to the point that I came to know Christ. And, and you know, I can't tell you anything that she said. I don't know that she had some clever presentation. If she did, I've forgotten it. I, I don't know that she, you know, was really good as a Bible communicator. You know, she's just a, she's a 10th grade high school girl. Um, but I know this, she had courage. And I'm saved today because she had courage. See, the reason why we don't share the gospel is not information, it's courage. It's courage. Let me share with you very quickly the the third lesson. Suffering is a special gift from God for gospel proclamation. Uh, So it's that weird verse, verse 29, that says, For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. Isn't that odd? So he says, it is, it is a privilege for you to believe in Jesus. And we know that. It's a privilege to be a child of God. But he says in the same way, it's a privilege to suffer. To suffer? That just doesn't go with how we think about suffering. You know, in America, in our contemporary views of suffering, we think that we should do anything possible to avoid suffering. But, but please know that the Bible has a whole different perspective on suffering. This, this perspective we have, it's not a normal perspective. It's, a, it's, a, it's an American perspective or a modern perspective on suffering. Uh, the Bible has a whole different perspective. Hebrews 10, 2, 2, 10 rather says Jesus was made um, perfect through suffering. Romans 5, 3, and 4 says suffering produces endurance, character, and hope. Uh, James 1, 2, and 4 says that suffering is necessary for spiritual maturity. 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7 says suffering uh, helps us bring honor and glory to Christ. So Paul's attitude about suffering, he, he didn't say, oh, woe is me. I'm stuck in prison. This is terrible. Life is unfair. No, Paul said, God has just given me a new opportunity through my suffering to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why suffering makes it possible for us to proclaim the gospel. Three reasons very quickly. First of all, suffering adds authenticity to your testimony. You, know, you can tell people at work or at school or in your family that my only hope is in Jesus and my, the source of my joy is in Jesus. But if, but if you're healthy and your family is uh, rocking along pretty well and your job is going well and you've got money in the bank, they don't believe you. I mean, it's easy to say that Jesus is the source of my joy when everything's going perfectly. Nobody believes you. But you let the doctor tell you you have cancer. And then you tell your niece, you know, my joy is just as full today as it was six weeks ago. And here's why. Now that has authority. You you go through family turmoil And then you go to work and say, I have perfect peace in Jesus. That has authority. So suffering gives authority. It gives authenticity to our testimony. Secondly, suffering softens the hearts of others. 
And when you're suffering, you just have a platform to speak into people's lives because people will listen to you. And, and thirdly, suffering reaches beyond barriers that fear has erected. You know, everybody you know, they're scared of, if you're suffering, they're scared of what you're suffering from. I mean, people are scared that they're going to have cancer. People are scared that they're going to have diabetes. People are scared that, that their marriage is going to fall apart. People are scared that their children are going to go um, astray. People are scared that they're going to lose their job. People, people are scared of all those things. And so if you're experiencing one of those things and you can speak as, as someone who, has, uh, who, who is there and say, listen, I'm telling you, even behind the, the, the walls that fear has erected, there is hope in Jesus Christ. Your, your suffering will allow, you, uh, will allow you to speak. You know, uh, what do we do when we suffer? We, we, need, we need to be thankful for suffering, and, and the Bible talks about that. As hard as that is, we need to acknowledge, we need to know that, w- that we're with Jesus. Jesus suffered, and so we're sort of walking a path similar to his path. But we need to look for an opportunity in our suffering to proclaim Christ. You know, I'm not much of a basketball fan, but if I, if I enjoy a basketball game, what I enjoy is the end. I love to see a game, and it comes down to the last few seconds. And, and, and the game is just like a one-point game. And finally, somebody gets the ball, and he has the one last opportunity, the one last shot as the clock ticks down to shoot it up and put his team in the lead. Now listen, if you are suffering, here's what's happened. God has just passed you the basketball. And the clock is ticking in someone's life around you. And this is God's power play. He's allowed you to suffer so that you would have the influence to advance the gospel in someone's life. And you may not even know who. It is the most critical moment. When we suffer, we've got to understand that's not God putting us on the bench. That's God putting us in the game with three seconds left and passing us the ball. When you suffer, you have a unique opportunity to advance the gospel. So so the apostle Paul said, I am thankful that I have been given the gift of believing, but I'm also thankful that I have been given the gift of suffering so that the gospel can be advanced in the lives of those around me. You know, there's another first chapter in a book that Paul wrote where he speaks of the same thing. And I want to close with this verse, Romans 1 16. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And here's my challenge. How is the gospel going to advance in your life? right now in this week. For some people, the gospel needs to advance in your life, meaning you need to embrace the gospel. For the first time, you need to embrace the gospel. You need to say, I trust what Jesus has done for me, and I want to be adopted into his family. I want to turn from my sins and trust Jesus. You need to embrace the gospel. We're going to stand, and there. I have counselors ready right here in the front 
in just a moment when we stand, you can just step out and I'll, I'll talk to you briefly and then somebody will counsel with you and pray with you and we'll help you to embrace the gospel. But listen, many of us, we've embraced the gospel in that sense. But the question for us is how's the gospel going to be advanced this week because of us? God has given you some divine appointments. Every person, every situation, every encounter is for a gospel purpose. Will you be faithful this week? Father, use us as your tools to do the most important work we could possibly do to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let's stand together as we respond.